So JB, what was the uh, what was the final temperature? How how low did it get on the weekend at the outdoor game in Minnesota? Did you yeah, see minus, minus twenty Celsius at least? Doesn't sound That's, pleasant to me, Kipper. Is that with the wind chill factor? Let's ask our our next guest, Darren Pang. Panger, did you did you freeze? Kipper. Did you did you freeze your willy? I needed you to hug me. <laughs> That's the best phrasing I've ever heard for that question. I, it, yes, it definitely was, and, and yes, I definitely did. Um, I uh, it was actually minus ten Fahrenheit, Ooh. and I think the wind chill factor. The, it, I think the feels like was minus twenty five. It was. Um, I've been a part of a number of them. I don't know, maybe seven or eight of them, including the first one in Buffalo. Uh, this was a different. This was a different chill. It was a different uh, cold. You know, I mean, it was a it was a northern Canadian cold. And uh, I got to say this: the, the fans, you, you can't even begin to applaud them enough for. I mean, for braving it and for being there and for being so energetic and enthusiastic the entire time. It's absolutely phenomenal. And guys, when somebody tells you that, oh, they get old. I don't know. You, you go to you go to one of these winter classics, and you're in this city that's hosting it. And you see the enthusiasm for it and what it brings to the economy. You go, no, it's it's still okay. It still is very much working. Did it tangibly affect the uh, on ice product at all, Panger? Um, yeah, I think there was. I mean, number one, I I think that uh, the just your just your breathing. I noticed, you know, a number of times the guys' visors, you know, would fog up very quickly, and then they, you know, then they, you keep skating, you breathe in, you keep skating, it clears up, you breathe out, it goes, you know, back to a bit of a fogginess. But um, the other part about it was, you know, we all talked about Dan Craig so, you know, so highly, and and he's been the master of the ice surface for a long time. But his son Mike has really taken that over now with his staff, and I thought they they did a remarkable job. I mean, how do you go into a situation where the ice might dehydrate and crack, so somehow you have a layer of warm water underneath the ice. I mean, it's just brilliant. Uh, the only other thing that I could say that happened, and maybe the players would agree, I, I thought the, the puck was probably so frozen and um, hard to keep that temperature perfect, but uh, it's, it, it, it uh, started bouncing around a lot, especially those long passes, that first skip that would normally lay flat. It'd go that first skip, nice little saucer pass, and then bang, after it hit the ice, it was like, boom! So these guys did a great job of handling a lot of loose pucks and, and played the game hard. I was pretty impressed. Yeah, there's no question, uh, Panger, when you, when, you, when you look at it from a, a national perspective, uh, unless you're there absorbing it, um, it it's probably mm-hmm. gotten old for a few people from afar. But I've covered enough of these for Sportsnet and Hockey Night in Canada that once you're in that environment, regionally, locally, it is it's absolutely incredible. And, yeah, because it's New Year's Day, it's got a, a special marquee place on, on American television that was started by NBC. But these things are still um, huge. If, if it doesn't have the shine of what it used to have nationally, uh, locally, with the teams involved, the families, they're as special as the first one we had in Edmonton. Yeah. No, you are. You're right. Um I, I think it's it is hard to put into words. It's hard to put into. You guys know Keith Jones real well, and so Jonesy and I, we ended up doing some stuff for Discover um, and uh, major sponsors. And, and truly, 
truly had the entire target center, the whole basketball court. They, they had that whole complex uh, taken over indoor. Uh, there was shooting, you know, there was, you know, whether it be puck shooting, taking pictures, whatever. There was a whole bunch of different things. The world's largest uh, air hockey uh, was outside. And Jonesy and I spent 45 minutes outside and we were playing, you know, with all the fans that were there. And, and, and again, they were out there in droves. And so, yeah, you, you, you don't, you, you don't just get this on a normal hockey day. So to create the kind of, uh, you know, basically hockey related revenues to create that, that, that in, incredible passion for it, especially when so many fans have been missing so much hockey fans in Minnesota have had a lot of games canceled. There was a lot of anxiety, I'm sure, leading up to the Winter Classic, whether or not it was going to be a go or not. But uh, i got to tell you, people very respectful. We were outside in the freezing cold, taking pictures with people and playing games. They all had masks on. They were all, you know, I mean, they, I mean, everybody respectful of everybody else, but uh, that's, a lot, that's a lot of people. And I thought, I thought all in all they did an incredible job. And as you mentioned, credit to the fans in Minnesota because it probably would have been a tough game to stay in being down the way they were in the game, but they managed to, to stay in and almost will their team back into it. How was the actual game? Yeah, I mean, I thought the Blues played an, a phenomenal game. I mean, mm-hmm. I know they went in there. You guys probably talked about their their, um, their entrance wear uh, into the building was spectacularly funny and phenomenal coming in in beach wear and sandals and flip-flops and some guys had a cooler and shirts undone and sunglasses and, and you know, so they walked in with a lot of bravado and fun, which that's what that team's really all about. And then they walked out with a really well-executed game. I totally impressed with the way that they played from their own end to the offenses end. And i be honest with you, I think they backed off Minnesota. I think that caught Minnesota by surprise. Uh, Jordan Cairo and, and Robert Thomas in particular and their speed entering the zone. I mean, I, Minnesota just kept backing up, JB, backing off the line and backing off the line. And, yeah. you know, and the Bruce had a lot of great chances uh, because of that. But, you know, Minnesota made a, made a fight of it. And I'm glad they did. And if not for – who was it that hit the knob of the stick? Was it maybe – maybe it was Kaprizov. And, uh, man, that, that's as close as it was to getting the 6-5 with a minute and a half to go. So, uh, pretty good effort by Dean Evison, pulling the goalie for, what, the last seven and a half minutes and, uh, and making a real run at it, making it exciting. Panger, I got to tell you something. Watching that, that the beach wear and the flip-flops and the hat, <laughs> like, that's really putting your you-know-what's on the line here. That, that could have backfired fairly easily. Like, can you imagine now... Doug Armstrong watching those guys focus on their attire and and if it was reversed and they were they were down 5-1 like oh who they, would they, dare kipper they, it's fun they took a, it's just they fun took, no they took a bit of a chance i got to give them a ton of credit man because that 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 game that game where you know points mean something they they were they were they were yeah. prepared right out of the get go here and I know, I know. Minnie wasn't very happy letting the game get out of hand in that uh, that second period. Yeah, yeah. Then no, you're, you're. I mean, you're right on both counts. I think even some of the players said that after the game. Hey, if we're going to walk into the rink like this, we better have some game to back it up. So it's Absolutely. not like they don't know because you know, Kipper. They they're a pretty um, close knit group, and you know, it sounds to me like when they first got on that text thread and they first started talking, they had a number of different ideas going around, and they kind of almost panicked on the lumberjack thing. And thought, nah, that's not good enough. You know, we're gonna we're gonna go in there acting like, hey, we've been down the cold route before. This isn't this isn't that bad, and we're gonna we're gonna do it this way. I, I don't think I don't think the coaching staff even knew that they were doing it because 
from what I understand, one of the coaches saw, maybe it was Vladdy uh, in the hallway, or not in the hallway, but there's a, an area where they get hot chocolate and stuff before they leave the hotel, a uh, little food room. And uh, and I, I think one of the coaches saw them in shorts going, man, these guys better hurry up. they got to get going. Like, we're... <laughs> and only to find out that they start coming out from the from there all in their shorts and their flip-flops and everything. So, you know, once Chief sees that, he just, you know, he smiles. He loves that good nature stuff because he knows what team camaraderie is all about, too. I mean, and that's, you know, that's this team won the Stanley Cup based on, on being out together um, and never leaving a man behind. And sure enough, they, they do it in the Winter Classic, you know, in a great way. You know, uh, what are your, go ahead, Kipper. I was just going to say, you know, uh, I'm watching the St. Louis Blues, a team that uh, you've covered, uh, including their Stanley Cup run, of course. Uh, went, I think it was Wednesday against the uh, Oilers, and I was having a conversation with someone, and I'm like, you know who the best player on St. Louis was? And he said, yeah, easy, Tarasenko. And I said, no, it's Jordan Cairo. And I watched him Saturday night, I think, set a record for outdoor games, four points. Like, this guy's... Do, do people know how good this guy is? Well, they're start. Yeah, they're they're beginning to. I mean, you know, you know, when you watch somebody all the time, you know, you you look at a player and you see him in practice and you go, oh my goodness, the sky's the limit for this guy. And and certainly from the moment Jordan came up, you know, from Sarnia of the Ontario League and spent a little time in the minors, he, there was such a lear- learning curve, though, uh, Kipper. You know that. I mean, I even asked him myself. I said, like I said to, I said to Jordan, he played with David Leguan and Darren Hatcher in Sarnia. He was a star player. They basically let him do whatever he wanted to do. And, and Jordan told me that. He said, if, if I was on the ice for three minutes, I was on the ice for three minutes. If I didn't back check, oh, well. If I just turned a puck over barely at the blue line, oh, well. Like, I didn't really learn that part of it because I was, you know, basically so um, – um, talented, you know, and he could do so many different things to make a difference in the game. And he actually is, his dad was a, a Toronto area AAA player, played in the Air Canada Cup, and, as a matter of fact. And he would say to his dad, hey, dad, like all these little things, man, do these guys ever get intense on it? <laughs> like I turned the puck over at the red line, didn't get it in, uh, went for a line change, and they scored on us. Oh, my, that's a bad thing, dad. Like, you know, there's things that he had to learn. And you know what I'm talking about, Kipper and JB. You know exact, mm-hmm. exactly. Skill players out of any league, they come up and they think that they're still going to do that same stuff. Well, I'm gonna, now I'm going to go forward here on Jordan Cairo. He, he is absolutely getting it 100%, and he's understanding how important it is on a good line change, on a good play, managing the puck. But, man, when he gets that puck in the neutral zone, there are very, very few in the NHL that I've actually seen, and I mean very few, that can dance through the neutral zone like he can dance through the neutral zone. It's been just remarkable to watch his spirit and the way he plays and, and how much confidence the players have in him now, too, and including uh, Chief, uh, the head coach. Well, you know, it takes it's real credit to him because not everyone gets there. Some guys it takes four years, some guys ten years. So that's great. He's getting it already. Um, you know, the excitement of his performance in that outdoor game and all the fans around it, it really made me think of the growth of the game. You watch that and you think there's moments where a kid is like, this makes me want to play hockey. Another moment like that is the Olympics. Uh, that's something that we have been denied this year. Over your career, what impact do you feel like the Olympics has had on the growth of the game and those moments that make more people want to get involved in hockey. What are we missing here? Yeah, it's, you know, the Winter Classic is a marquee event worldwide. And I, I, I think, and I saw many young kids 
at that game and their eyes wide open, hoping, I'm sure they're saying, hoping one day that they were going to play a winter classic game. We had many guys in this game that, that actually went as fans to the winter classic beginning in 08 and 09 and 010. Several of them just went as young hockey players and wanted to watch a winter classic game. And now they're playing in it. So that same is going to be said for, for the future JB, but around the nation, I remember in 1997, Dave, the late Dave Strader and I for ESPN went to Tokyo to do the first ever regular season game outside North America. It was Vancouver and, and Anaheim. And, uh, you know, the, basically we watched what it was all about right then. It was, it was a nice prelude to the Olympics. So then I went and did the uh, Nagano Olympics for CBS and I got to see the excitement level. And that's 1997 and 98. And I watched Timo Solani and all these great ambassadors of the game, including Wayne Gretzky. When he got off the train, it was like the Beatles arriving. It was amazing. But he, but you know, you, you're looking at the enthusiasm there, but when we come back to North America, I don't think we really know how much of an impact that that had right. or it has had. You know, we go to Sweden for some games. We go to Czech for some games. I don't know. Like, I, 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 somebody has the data for it. It's not me, <laughs> but someone has the data for it. All I can talk about is what I see in, in places that I've grown up in the States, Chicago, Arizona, now St. Louis. And, and I've just seen it grow. Oh, my goodness. I mean in thousands and thousands of thousands, the game of hockey because of the NHL. Panger, one more for you. Earlier uh, in our show, we had Craig Simpson on, and uh, Craig spoke of the pressure, I think, on the Oilers. They've got the Rangers tonight and the Leafs on Wednesday. Uh, We don't think Mm -hmm. Austin Matthews will be in that lineup, but the pressure perhaps on on Dave Tippett uh, to, to make some hay in the next two games here. And all of a sudden... You know, we start hearing some rumblings out there, and for for all, you know, for me, anyways, I have not heard uh, other than speculation the name Mike Babcock. Can you see that at all? <laughs> Sounds like someone's taking molars out of you right now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think there's a lot of people cringing right now. But could you even see it? I think I, I, I can. I'm not saying with Edmonton. I'm, I'm just saying I, I can see at some point. I can see for sure at some point Mike Babcock returned to the NHL. He's, he's still, you know, a kind of coach that a, a GM. You know how we talk about GMs. They've got so many, you know, bullets in the, the barrel. Yeah. Basically just to pick, you know, oh. to pick. And I don't mean that in a, in a real sense. But they got... Okay, you're going to have your one coach here. You're going to have your two coaches. If you whip through five or six or seven coaches in a short amount of time, the owner and the president or whoever is going to look at the GM and say, okay, what's the plan? So there are a lot of GMs that are, they they like certainty and they like a guy that they know that he's going to take care of the details and win them, what, three of every four games, which Mike Babcock has done. And, uh, you know, and then just get get the train rolling again. So in answering your question, uh, it wouldn't surprise me whatsoever if uh, if he if he resurfaces as a head coach in the NHL. And again, no, once again, I'm not saying I, I that, don't care about. I, I don't care Collins about the rest a lot of, of patience right there. Yeah, but I, I do believe that you'll see his return. I am just strictly talking Oilers and the relationship that Ken Holland has Between with Kenny? Bobcock. Yes, yeah. that's all. Yeah, you know, and yeah, there has to be there has to be a level of conversations there either internally. Uh, but where they go after that remains to be seen. But uh, like I said, we'll, we'll watch this one gonna, as it progresses. Yeah, I'm going to say tips, tips. Uh, you know, I think he's got, you know, let's face it. It hasn't been going well. It went well. Then they dropped six and then they won two and then they lost in St. Louis. And then, you know, I mean, 
you know, I, I think that entire coaching staff has got enough experience with Jimmy Playfair, with Glenn Gullitson, obviously with Tip. I mean, when sometimes when a head coach can feel that maybe he doesn't, have, maybe it's not there's not a response going on, or maybe I'm not getting enough out of these guys. You know, that's where the other guys. That's why the experience of Jimmy and, and Glenn Gullitson have got to come through in, in moments like this to to recapture what it's all about in the buy-in process for everybody. Panger, you did this whole segment, and I didn't hear your teeth chatter once. Is that a, I, I lost them all. That's why. I, they're, they're, they're back in Minnesota. They're, they're back between the benches with uh, with a lot of other things. If you know, I mean, that was that was as cold as it gets. As cold as it gets. And I wasn't allowed any hot chocolate either near the benches. So, whew, that was tough. You would have had that hot chocolate spiked for sure. I, I was going to say when Jordan Bennington had that chicken broth in his water bottle, I. I was like, pass that over, and I'll put something else in that thing for me. That'll be perfect. <laughs> Hanger, thanks for doing this, pal. Happy New Year to you both. Keep up the great work. Thanks, Panger. Darren Pang, analyst NHL on TNT. Are you buying anything? Uh, like, like, it would be, it would be quite a surprise that Ken Holland would would make that. But in some ways, it does make a little bit of sense. Like I said, JB, not only the relationship between Ken Holland and Mike Babcock, but the fact that it, he'll come super cheap because he can get the lease to pick up still uh, the maybe the majority of his contract. Lease will take anything off of it. Yeah, so that's how that works. Eh? Right now they're paying him six and change, and if someone else picks it up, the, that just comes off what they're paying him? That's right. So if, if Edmonton says... Uh, Give him 500 We'll give him a million dollars, and the Leafs go, uh, well, we can save a million. Yeah. What would you possibly say no to that for? Exactly. Uh, So my initial thoughts, Kipper, amongst the many, are how is the relationship with Holland and Babcock, and is Babcock that different from Dave Tippett as a coach? Well, I would think that – if you just believe the fact that uh, Babcock will find a way to squeeze everything he can out of the rest of his lineup, mm-hmm. then it's just strictly that philosophy that he can come in and tighten the screws. Um, and I don't know what that would mean for McDavid and, and Dreisaitl, but I don't think that you're, you, I think there's less of a chance that you could watch that overtime. Yeah. With the New York Islanders and see Dreisaitl, you know, with his tongue hanging out trying to get a line change. Three and a half minutes ice time or something, not a chance. I mean, that that's was not, one of the st- that's not happening with Babcock, is it? No. Well, that was one of the stories here, right? Was, you know, people were saying, why aren't you playing Matthews more? Why don't you play Marner more? And he said, look at Boston. Patrice Bergeron plays 20 minutes a night. Marshawn plays 19 and a half minutes a night. He wanted to play those guys in a way that preserved them where I think there was the argument that they weren't being utilized here with the superstars. So whatever uh, right or wrong on how to deploy stars, he would deploy those guys less, which would be different. I mean, when you haven't had success with those guys yet, I guess you might as well try something else. Well, the Oilers can go a long way from, you know, they can go a long way to diffuse these type of conversations with a win tonight against uh, the Rangers, but I want to ask uh, you about that, Nick. Like these things, how did these things ever come down to a handful of hockey games? And we hear this all the time. Like if they go out and win a few games in a row, does it fundamentally change? Like if you believe that 
Dave Tippett is not the guy or has lost the room or whatever, does it matter how they play in a few game span? Yeah, it does. Because as a coach, you all you need to do is just buy one more day. And if a win can buy you one more day yeah. and then a, and it's followed with another win or two, now you buy yourself a week, you could dig yourself out. Yeah. But chances Tippett's are... Tippett's in that deep, though, eh? Like, this is the first time I've heard anyone say they think Tippett's in trouble. JB, they can't miss the playoffs this year. Edmonton no, Oilers can cannot not. miss the playoffs this year. I hadn't even contemplated that as a possibility, I'll be honest. Just because the way they started in my head, they're still first in the, you know, I I see now they're obviously not, but. Yeah, that's, I just, uh, it's, I think it's a critical time for the Oilers here and it's been, it's been ugly the last little while. And, and it's just not that it's how they're losing games again Mm -hmm. with lack of depth and. Well, same issues. Counting on two guys to carry the mail. What's crazy is, you know, we looked at, and I'll go ahead and just say I looked at so I don't lump everyone in, but I looked at that Pacific as the softest division, the most gettable teams, and yeah, not a ton of teams in that division blow you away, but you know who's above 500? Seven of the eight teams. San Jose, LA, Anaheim, Vancouver all crawled their way back above 500. You know, this the only division right now that can claim seven of eight teams above 500, so... You know, Edmonton's got their hands full every night. If There's not many easy games for them on the schedule at this point. And, boy, that's reflective of, uh, of where they're at for sure. All right, we're going to go to a break here. But after the break, John Morosi, uh, a familiar uh, name and voice on the fan, uh, does a terrific job with uh, MLB, NHL Network. He's our Swiss Army knife here. And I, I just... Think, think the world of him as a broadcaster. Maybe he'll give us a couple scoops on the Blue Jays. What do you think? For Sammy, who's watching and listening. Unfortunately, Sammy taking the, the day off. He's healthy. Is, 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 he, is he a healthy scratch or is he uh, It's one of those day? ones where you're looking to give a guy a healthy and he doesn't play great. And you say, you know what? Just sit this one out. We'll call it a sickness, but we need to get show in. Well, we'll, we'll get his thoughts on the World Junior Championship uh after the break and also i want to get into the more talk about jacob chikrin jb i'm I'm hearing that it's heated heating up a little bit uh now we're starting to hear some some teams involved i'll get uh we'll get into that uh when we return and jack eichel now we're starting to hear about uh a target date when he's coming back for vegas lots of good stuff Still remaining on The Real Kipper and Bourne Show after the break. All right, JB, our next guest really needs no introduction uh, Introduction here on The Fan 590. He is, like I said, the Swiss Army knife to, to Sportsnet and The Fan 590. Does it all. Terrific job. The MLB Network, NHL Network, John Morosi. How are you, pal? Happy New Year. Nick and Justin, Happy New Year to both of you, and, and I, I appreciate the very kind introduction. Uh, too kind, my friend. I, I just try to play up and down the lineup, as they say, as, as needed. <laughs> that, that's the idea. <laughs> it's, 
it's awesome when you can find yourself a healthy scratch around the number one power play. That's how good you are. I, I just I wake up, I see what, what color my jersey is on that given day, and I just I, I, I try to just work my wing, take the shift, and uh, have a good time with it. But I, I appreciate the call today, guys. Thanks so much. So we know you cover the NHL, we cover uh, MLB. Where are you right now? Because you are going through a, a CBA uh, situation. I've covered enough CBAs uh, for, for my liking with the National Hockey League and the Players Association. But, you know, this is supposed to be a relaxed off season. It's anything but, correct? Right. And so uh, I am uh, physically in uh, in Michigan. I was actually going to be, uh, had the World Juniors kept going, I was going to go up for the medal round. So certainly, like everybody else, bummed out that, uh, that we are where we are right now. But uh, certainly on the baseball front, it's been quiet. And we're, I think we're now at the phase where we're trying to decide if it's a good kind of quiet or uh, a disconcerting kind of quiet. If it's a quiet because uh, they know, the sides know where the parameters are and what they have to work through, uh, that could be good. And then certainly the the real deadline here is the start of spring training. So we're probably six weeks away from really there being some concern. But as uh, as far as I can tell right now, there's not really a whole lot happening in terms of negotiations now on the baseball front. So I am uh, focused on, on hockey here. we got the, the, the BioSteel All-American Prospects games coming up here in the next couple of weeks in Michigan. So I'll have a chance to, to put on my NHL Network hat and watch some of the best prospects here for the upcoming draft. That is exciting. I, I'm fascinated by a guy who's had to deal with uh, MLB, CBA stuff, and NHL, CBA stuff. What is the difference in covering the leagues and the way news comes out and the way um, you know fans are informed about the developments between the CBA uh, talks? You know, it's a great question, Justin. I, I think it, certainly both leagues are, are different uh, from the standpoint of the, the culture of the leagues. I think one thing that really stood out to me and this goes back to the return to play 2020, where I, I certainly think the NHL, you could tell that there has been a, a stronger collaborative relationship, I, I think, between the NHL and the PA that got the game back on the ice, uh, I think, in a, in a pretty comprehensive manner back in the summer and late summer of 2020. Where of course, as we know, baseball took a long time, and there was a lot of uh, there were some public comments back and forth where that got a little acrimonious. Uh, I think on the baseball side in the summer of 2020, I think on the baseball side of things, Justin, I would say that we've now gone up until a month ago. We had gone a quarter century without a work stoppage, which is pretty hard to do. And, of course, baseball is the one major sport in North America without a salary cap. And so I think that is one piece that that is important to keep in mind. And certainly the the players uh, would like for the middle class of of MLB to get paid more. I think that's one of the the key issues at the forefront. And yet I think the the PAs and the other sports would say, yeah, but you have no salary cap. And that's got to be a good thing for you. So I, I think some of the issues at play are a little bit different. But I, I do think that the NHL, their overall labor relations uh, have gotten to a point where there's a little greater harmony on the NHL side of things than there is in baseball right now, which I think we all would have been surprised if, you, if we'd had this conversation a decade ago where there was another lockout coming, of course, uh, in 2013. Uh, I think we would be pretty surprised to see where the circumstances are right now. Hey, John, whether we're, whether we're talking about baseball or hockey, as far as the media is concerned, 
do they at times throughout this process get played as much as I saw it uh, get played uh, with the, the hockey CBA? And yes, on occasion, I got accused of being a pro player, NHLPA. I took the side of the underdog so many times and one I could relate with. Uh, going through a strike and a lockout myself, but does that get played out the same way uh, on, on your side, on your baseball side, where you, you 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 can sense or see which media guys are getting played or, or being used? Uh, probably. <laughs> I, I think that uh, and it's, it's, an Im- it's an imperfect thing, Nick, and it's a very fair point to raise because here's here's what I would say too. Um, I think for all of us who follow sports, as much as we don't love the following the business side of it as much as what's happening on the field or on the ice, we all realize it's part of the game. And I think, too, that as hard as we try, and this is true to some extent if it's a trade deadline conversation or free agency, but especially when it's a CBA negotiation, where there are so many things on the table, And whether it's with the NHL, it could be escrow, it could be the cap escalating, whatever it might be year by year. With baseball, luxury tax threshold, percentage of penalties if you go over the luxury tax, draft pick compensation and free agency. We could say it might be true that when you look at one proposal and somebody who's in the room might say, hey, listen, we offered this, and that might be true. But it was offered along with these other different parameters that the other side finds to be a non-starter, and so we don't often have the whole story. And I think that we all have to realize that there is probably a very select number of people in the universe who have an idea of, of all the different issues at play, whether it's an NHL negotiation or MLB. And I think we all probably have to realize the, the imperfections in all of our knowledge, where, where there's going to be inherently an incompleteness of what we know. And, and I just think that for all, whether we're actually disseminating the news or consuming it, I think we all have to realize it's not deliberate bias. It's probably just we're going with the information that we've got and very often we don't have the full readout of exactly what was proposed because there are so many nuances and so many complexities that make that information almost impossible until the final bell. Okay, we're going to get into hockey, but uh, for, for our Blue Jay fans out there, John Morosi says we will or will not miss any part of the season because of this. Yes or no? I, I don't think we're missing any games. Uh, will Will there be a slight delay of spring training? Maybe. Uh, I think that's a possibility. I, I really believe that the the crucial time in this is about a month from now, uh, because that's about when spring training gets going. Uh, maybe five, you know, five six weeks or so. I, I really think an, unless we're at a spot where we start missing revenue and missing paychecks which for the players is really with the regular season beginning and for the owners is when spring training games begin which is the first of march and for that to happen obviously you have to have your pitchers ready to go by the middle of february thereabouts i really think we're we're weeks away from there being any sort of urgent point. So I, I would say this to caution Blue Jays fans, a lot of enthusiasm, obviously, about this team coming up. 
But I would say do not get worried. Really and truly do not get worried unless we're six weeks from now and we got nothing. Then maybe it's, it's okay to get worried. But I would just say keep the faith. Be positive. I really think that there is ultimately not going to be any regular season schedule missed. Did you well, do John, the impossible and bring good news to, to Ontario and, and Canada? I'm trying. I'm trying, guys. <laughs> I, I, I really I want to, at some point in time soon, bring myself to Ontario again on a regular basis. You guys know how much I love uh, being in Toronto, so it's certainly just across the border. And I, I think I'll begin there hopefully at some point in time soon. But I'm trying to give some good news, trying to be optimistic. I really believe better days ahead are in all of this all of this stuff we're talking about these days, I really believe the spring is going to be a lot better. Well, we, we talked to the right person on the continent of North America. You're about the only guy giving us good news today, so we love it, John. <laughs> I'll, stick with, I'll stick with the theme of talking about things that takes away things that we love, labor negotiations and COVID. Uh, talk World Juniors with you a little bit. I know you're a big fan of the tournament. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on how that event went down? I know it's such a disappointment for the kids and for fans and for so many other reasons. Uh, what are your thoughts on the way that tournament played out and the way it was held in general? Yeah, no, it's certainly, to your point, my, my number one concern is for the, is for the players, especially the O2 birth year kids because they missed their U18 worlds, which were knocked out in 2020 because of COVID, and then this happens. And I, I do think were there oversights on the way that the, the tournament was planned, and is, is there some blame for the IIHF? Of course, there certainly is. And uh, this is one of those things where if, if there was going to be daily testing in that standard, Based on what we saw, you would have had to be in a bubble for that to be successful. But I will also say this, on on the behalf of, I think, citizens of the world and certainly the organizers as well, there was a lot of bad luck here. Where if that tournament had been had happened in October, based on where case numbers were then, two months previous, I think it would have been fine. I really believe if that tournament were held in March or April – it probably also would have been fine. It was the, a, a truly a perfect storm of circumstances in terms of just the absolute worst timing with respect to the new variant that came up. And you just think about how much the, the hockey world has changed in the last month. It's been dramatic. If you go back and read what the headlines were on this day in December, it was all different. You know, the, the, just the, the overall number of postponements we had seen with the NHL, it's a very, very difficult time, I think, for all of us. And I think we're all just taking this day-to-day approach and trying to do the best that we can in our professional lives and personal lives. But I really think there was a lot of bad luck there. There was, there was some bad planning, yes. But the situation changed so much, so quickly, that it was almost an impossible situation to pull off. And obviously I've heard the reports about the possibility of it coming back in the summertime. Who knows? It's obviously we're now just hoping that the NHL season ends on schedule and things like the Memorial Cup happen on schedule and the NHL draft happens on schedule. There's a lot of different dynamics there. But it's just speaking as the uh, as the, the spouse of a doctor, because my, you know, my wife obviously is a doctor here in Michigan, and so I've, I've been sort of experiencing all of this through her eyes in the last couple of years, and she's way smarter than me. And a lot of times I'll ask her, well, what do you think about this? And she'll say, John, I don't know yet. And, and when the smartest person I know – which is my wife, doesn't know, then a lot of people don't know. And so I, I just try to take that approach and just keep that day-to-day focus as much as we all can. We're joined by John Morosi, broadcaster, analyst, NHL Network, MLB. Uh, John, you were covering the U.S. Uh, World Championship uh, team 
Uh, besides the obvious of maybe a, a Jake Sanderson or Owen Power, who who else did we get ripped off of getting to know better in this tournament through your eyes? Well, I'm going to give some great news for the Leafs fans because his name is Matthew Nyes, and he was a second-round pick of the Leafs in the summer, and I think he is going to be a fantastic player. Uh, I saw him play at the summer camp. I had a nice conversation with him back then. Tremendous young man, just a great story. His parents are, are both uh, from the, the present-day Slovakia. and Actually, his brother was born in Slovakia before they moved to, to Arizona. And uh, I think if the draft were held today with those same players available, he'd be a, a, a pick between 10 and 15. He's, he's that good. Power forward, I saw him play a series for Minnesota against Michigan last month. Really impressive possessing the puck. He can make plays. I asked one of his teammates about him, and he basically said, I have not seen him lose a 50-50 puck battle all season long. So he's a guy that can make plays. And it's a great story, too. He's someone that grew up with Josh Stone in Arizona. And when you think about uh, the story of um, certainly of, of hockey in Arizona and Austin Matthews and, and, and his story and what he means for hockey in the U.S., Matthew Nyes is someone who is obviously five, six years younger than Austin, looks up to him, and, and has grown up with hockey in Arizona. And uh, I, I love this, too. I asked him, he wears jersey number 89, and this, this made me feel really old. I said, so, Matthew, why do you wear jersey number 89? And he said, because I grew up watching Mikel Bodker play for the Coyotes. <laughs> I said to myself, I, I feel like an old man right now because that's the, cause he's young, Bodker's younger than me. And so, uh, but no, he's a, he's a tremendous young man. I mean, physically impressive, just uh, outstanding in every way. And again, really mature player. I think he's someone that he played in the USHL last year, and, and the Leafs did their homework. I, I, I got to give their scouting department a lot of credit because he was someone that played in the USHL last year, in his draft year, and wasn't one of these guys that we were all talking about as a top 20 pick all the time, but the Leafs did their homework. They got a great young man from a great family, and, uh, and again, he's someone that is part of that, the, that Arizona to the Leafs uh, uh, pathway there with Austin Matthews and now number 89, Matthew Nice. Well, first off, I am fascinated by anyone who picks kind of a semi-random NHLer to make a superhero. My my college roommate wore number forty because Merrick Sfatos wore it. So you know, to each <laughs> his own. It. Whatever anyone wants to do, that's cool. Um, you know, watching that World Junior tournament, we only got a couple games, uh, but seeing Connor Bedard score four, then he goes back to junior scores four again. Where, where do you think we're at in the turn when we use the term generational and the next wave of superstar here? Uh, you know, Sean Ray, but right, but or Shane right but most specifically Connor Bedard what do you think he's going to be when he gets to the NHL compared to the the great players who've been uh, picked number one overall in the past yeah it's it's so hard to predict it uh but I mean he's certainly if you look at what McDavid was doing at this age it's it's similar and it's I have to be guarded in saying that to say well I'm not saying he's going to be McDavid in the future but you look at what he can do now and and what McDavid was doing around that same time and it's it's really similar and maybe in some respects perhaps even more productive which is remarkable I love too how when when the tournament begins Dave Cameron and Hockey Canada saying okay he's going to be the extra forward we don't want to put too much pressure on him and then we all watched one period of the first pre-tournament game and said nope uh, he's heading right up the lineup there's just there was no no doubt about it for anybody watching right I mean you just you could not hold him back and 
I, I, I just love how I love how he carried himself. Uh, he did not seem phased or caught up at all in the in the hype around it. I just I thought he did it the right way on and off the ice. He let his play do the talking, and I think that for a young player to be as grounded as he is, and I love too. I, I think the, the the kids who unfortunately had this opportunity taken from them to then have to sort of refocus, reorient yourself. Okay, I got to fly back and join my club team. And how do you handle that first weekend? Well. He obviously handled it brilliantly, and and so I, I think this was and one of the reasons why it was such a, a tough tournament to lose for all of us is because we saw what Michkov could do for Russia. We saw what Bedard was doing for, for Canada. There was so much young talent that, that hasn't been drafted yet that we were getting a first glimpse at on the worldwide stage, and, and I think that's another, um, I, I think, tough part of this, this result because we were just starting to really love watching these players. And Owen Power, of course, I watch him play a lot here in Ann Arbor, a hat trick, uh, what he did. I mean, just an extraordinary talent, and for Owen to have already won uh, World Championships gold before even playing in this tournament, pretty unique. And I'd also mention, too, Adam Fantilli is, is part of that mix there for 2023 as well. I, I do think Bedard, especially based on what he did at the tournament in a short look, he and Mitchkoff are, are the headliners. But Adam Fantilli, I know from the Toronto area, is going to come here and play for Michigan next season. Uh, he is right there in that group. And I, I saw him play a game for the Chicago Steel just a month or so ago. What a player. I mean, physicality reminds me a bit of Jack Eichel in terms of how just how he moves on the ice and his presence. I mean, there's, there is so much great young talent in the hockey world right now and I think that's one reason why we hope this tournament somehow gets revived maybe towards towards the summertime hard to believe we're talking about Bedard and we don't even know if he's halfway through puberty like it's <laughs> unbelievable um, what he's been able to do amongst uh, yeah men 19 20 years old and I, I just wonder where, where do you think he might be physically? Like, when we watched Cole Caulfield leave school and go do what he did in a very short period of time for the Montreal Canadiens, you would have you bet a lot of money that he was just going to pick up where he left off with the Montreal right. Canadiens. And, and that just didn't happen. And I'm just wondering if, if you got a sense whether or not there'll be more power and maybe um, – uh, uh, Bedard's game than than maybe what Cole Caulfield looks at looks like at this point. No, it's, it's a fair point. I mean, I do think Bedard looks to. I mean, he's listed at five nine, and, and he's he's listed at one eighty. That's a solid one eighty from what we can see. I mean, he, he looks he looks thick for his size, basically. I mean, he's very very solid, and I think he's a true center. I think where, whereas Caulfield is. Is a wing. I think. I think Bedard is and always will be a center. He moves like a center. I thought uh, certainly he's someone that obviously could could play on the wing for this junior team. But I think he is someone that will be a center, a scoring center uh, at the NHL level. And so I think his his physicality is a little bit different. Uh, you never know. Sometimes a player surprises you and, and grows even uh, as they get to, to your point. Uh, he probably still has some growing to do. Uh, we even saw Matty Beneers, the number two overall pick. Uh, I saw him at the World Junior Camp for the U.S. three weeks ago, and I said, Matty, you look taller. He said, yeah, actually, I've, I've probably grown an inch at, or three-quarters of an inch in the, last, in the last year, even for someone that was drafted. So it, it can still happen where, where you have maybe that late growth spurt. I, I, I think Bedard, for me, is is fundamentally a different player from Caulfield. I think Caulfield, I think in the playoffs last year, was relying a lot on Suzuki and, and really – 
I think we saw with the Habs this year without Deneau and then just the, the Habs have not been the same team as they were last year in the playoffs, a little more scrutiny on that line, and Caulfield just wasn't seeing the same amount of space. And I think Bedard seems to me to be someone who will be able to handle if, if someone's, and again, in due time, when someone's best deep pair is going against him, he's able to handle that. And I think in the Western League, he's going up against, I mean, everybody knows who he is, even though he's, he's not yet draft eligible. And it, he's seen a lot of high-level attention from the top pairings in that league. And as you mentioned, he goes out and scores four goals last weekend. So um, I, I think he is really, to me, standing up to the scrutiny exceptionally well. And I believe he's a true center based on his physicality and his skill. John, last one for me, and we appreciate your time. I just wanted to get your thoughts on the NHL postponing games here in Canada despite teams having enough healthy bodies to play them. Do you feel like there's a bit of hubris here? They're trying to max out HRR. They want them in front of fans. Uh, you know, I think Nick and I uh, disagree a little bit on this one, and it makes sense to Nick from a dollars and cents standpoint. It feels a little risky to me. Well, here's here's my hope, and I'll I will continue with my hopefully somewhat optimistic uh, uh, plan on all of this. I I really believe that by next month that we we can, we have a reason to hope that we're in a different circumstance with 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 COVID. By uh, I mean not not we're not obviously in the clear, but it will hopefully be different in a good way by this time next month. You have the additional time. To, to work with with respect to the Olympic break. And so if you've got that additional time and flexibility, and if you have reason to hope that, that the cases could at least start to move in the right direction for all of our sakes uh, in the next four to six weeks, which I think some people hope will be the case, use that time. And so I, I do think for me and, and for the when you look at the overall way this league is founded, it's, it's, we understand the importance of having fans in the building. Players have talked about it. Management's talked about it. The fans certainly want to be back in the building. I know no one likes to see games postponed when the players are healthy enough. But we also know right now is an extremely sensitive time with respect to, to COVID. So if you can move it down the line four to six weeks, if we did not have the Olympic break there to use, Justin, I would feel differently about it. But because we've got it, we all of a sudden have this flexibility. Let's use it. Let's try to find a way to have packed crowds at, at, uh, in Toronto and Montreal again in Ottawa and, and hope that we can find, uh, find a, a better path forward with full buildings or at least fuller buildings uh, in, in six weeks or so. Baseball, hockey, anything else we can cover here for everybody listening? We good? I, I think I've, I've, I try, I'll say this. I try to basically, I love baseball, I love hockey, and, and whatever, whatever medical knowledge I, I have is just secondhand and very much filtered from my wife. It's not current, so certainly don't ever quote me on what my wife is saying. But that's about all I got. I got nothing on football. <laughs> I got nothing on basketball. I, I stay at my two sports and just try to keep my kids healthy and in school. And that's Right there is like a full plate right now. That's about all I got. <laughs> no, 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 no. Antonio Brown. I, 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 you have thoughts. With you guys. This is a true story. It's easy for me to say, uh, coming from a state where there's been one playoff win since 1957, I, I, this is a true, true story. I have not watched a down of NFL football season long. I, just, wow. I, I, yeah. I haven't seen it. Because, guys, it's like when, when you've got three kids under the age of 10 and you're trying to keep them all learning and engaged and, you, and you're trying to cover two sports – I, I got like no time for anything else. So I've just got 
those two sports, family, and that's it. I mean, and hopefully uh, being a good at-home instructor to the kids. But I've got I I really couldn't tell you anything about the NFL. Couldn't even. Yeah, I totally bluffed there too. I'm I'm the same way. I only got two kids, but I totally bluff. I turn on Red Zone Channel for nine minutes and claim to know what I'm talking about. We feel you, there John. You go. It's all good. It's, it's, <laughs> I, I, your football knowledge, Justin, is very strong. Well, well, and and anytime you, as a college hockey alum yourself, we can talk college hockey anytime. I always I always love it. That'd be great. That'd be great. Knowing that, we just valued our last 15, 20 minutes with you even more, John Morosi. We Morosi. appreciate Thanks it. for joining us. <laughs> hey, this is, this is a lot of fun, guys. And, again, I, I, I can't wait, Nick. I still think back on, on uh, uh, breaking bread with you. Being able, you guys are so gracious welcoming me into the studio a few years ago. It feels like that was not that long ago, and I, I can't wait until uh, we, we can do it again and catch up again in person. Likewise, pal. All the best. Uh, all, all, all the best, Thanks, guys. Man. Thanks so much. Hey, happy New Year. John Morosi. One of the best broadcasters out there, any sport, any time. That was awesome. What a depth of knowledge. You didn't even oh. mention he's talking about junior hockey and college hockey. Yeah, don't, oh, I'm not surprised great. he doesn't know the NFL, although you still have yeah. a, an opinion about Antonio, Antonio Brown. That's a tough one to, to, to not come up in your Twitter I, I just, feed. Uh, like stripping, like th- you, you tossed your jersey away. It's like yeah. I can't think of anything worse. I mean, you, you, you hear sport, people talking anytime. about I know. You hear people talking about, like, well, mental health and be sympathetic. And it's like, yeah, that gets you a second chance and a third chance. But once you're on your second dozen chance, it's kind of on you to uh, to get some help, the help you need. All right. We're closing out uh, another great show so far, JB. That was, uh, that's was that been some, some great stuff uh, from Darren Pang, Craig Simpson, and uh, most re- recently, uh, John Morosi. So uh, where, where do you want to go? I had kind of teased a little bit about what I'm hearing about uh, uh, Jacob Chikrin. And uh, yes. there's some some good speculation before Christmas, but I, I, I've heard uh, recently that it's gone to another level. Uh, some okay. of the teams that I'm hearing now in the mix include the Islanders, the Bruins, Los Angeles, Anaheim, Edmonton, Florida. And yes, the Leafs are trying to figure out what the starter is for Jacob Chikrin, and everything points to Sandine. Your thoughts? Well, uh, you know, having asked a question earlier today about uh, with Craig Simpson about Sandine, his thoughts, I just, you know, could not be more impressed with the player uh, on the offensive side of things. Obviously, uh, you know, Chikrin is a bigger body and supposed to, you know, be better at other areas of the game, but... Yeah, it's here's the thing with the Leafs is I wouldn't put it past them finding a way if they really truly feel like they're a, a you know a, a top pair top four D men away I I wouldn't put it past them finding a way I just don't know if it's at the cost of Rasmus Sandin that you you come out of it feeling good in a couple of years. The one thing that I do hear is that for this deal to happen before the trade deadline, it would have to be if not equal slightly better than return that than a return like Jack Eichel's they see this as a Jack Eichel type of trade where we're talking as many as four pieces including a blue chip prospect which Sandine is he is not a 20 minute guy and he's not you know a, a top pairing guy he is considered a top prospect so that, a first, maybe a second, and another prospect, 
because they value the Jacob Chickering contract with four more runs at the for a Stanley Cup at, at a price of uh, I forget his cap four million. Four, yeah, I think it's five, four, and five change, but four or five and change. Um, what, and that's that's the key in all of this is is the value of his contract yeah. being the most significant thing. You know what, Kipper, when you know I hear you say those words, you know, you could obviously hear my initial reactions. It's like, you know, the Jack Eichel thing, ha ha, you know, he ain't Jack Eichel, and then you laugh at oh a Sandine, a first, another, ha ha. However, I see your point, and I would see their point, that that contract fundamentally changes the conversation. Because if Jack Eichel costs $6 million a year, the ask is different. If he's $16 million, the ask is different. It's not just about the people involved. It's about what you got to pay him. Um, yeah, Chikrin's at $4.6 million until the end of 24, or sorry, 25. Thanks, show for that. Um, so that's a, that's a huge difference in what you can do, because in this world in this salary cap era salary cap space is as valuable as a player we see people get traded just for cap space right i mean that's what patrick marlowe gets sent to carolina for from from for the leafs the return is the cap space it is seen as an asset so for chikrin it's not just chikrin it's chikrin and probably about five million dollars worth of cap space compared to the value he brings interesting to hear the islanders who I'm told Lou still thinks they're in it and needs no. to Does do he? something. Yeah. Lou's, Lou's, Lou's planning like he's still in it, from what I hear. And we know that they, they lost uh, Devon Taves, who's pretty good in Colorado right now. They lost Letty. He needs a left-handed D in, in the worst, worst way. But that mm. one, if we're talking Sandine for the Leafs, that one's going to start with Dobson who scored, I think, the overtime goal against the uh, the Oilers uh, the other day. That's the type. Now, L.A., J.B., L.A. does not have uh, a blue-chip defenseman like the Islanders or maybe the Leafs. But Does it got to be a D-man? Could it, no, could it be a uh, by-field type? Or a... Yes, you're 100% right. They've got really? enough. And, and, and if you're not getting that blue chip defenseman, you better be getting a blue chip center iceman. So I think mm-hmm. they got Byfield or Turcotte that they could play with in L.A. So keep, keep an eye on L.A. on that. Do you think divisional makes a big difference there? Like you don't want to you know, trade Byfield and have him stuff it down your throat for 12 years or something, do no, you? No, I, 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 I don't think it, it would matter at that point. No. I don't. You know, the, the Islanders – make a ton of sense in terms of need. I'm looking at the standings, Kipper. They're in last in the Metro, 464 winning percentage. It, you you, you got to hop everyone. You got to hop four or five teams, and in the wild card race, you're looking at, you know, Boston is the fourth place team in the Atlantic. I don't know if they're being realistic about where they're at, but that is an interesting list of teams. I guess for Arizona, your point is you just don't care who it comes from as long as yep. you get the best possible player, yep. players back. I just feel like this turnaround for them that is so long before Arizona is going to be good again. So long. And that's, I think, uh, in a nutshell, why you you try to max out uh, three or four huge pieces for mm-hmm. for for Chikrin. You're if 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 you come to the point where you you're not even going to think about competing for two years, three years, then why do you want Chikrin? Uh, when he's 27 or 28. Yeah. Here's here's my uh, 
weird scenario in my head. Like the way they're tearing it down right now and rebuilding, they're going to be loaded with picks and prospects for what, two, three, four years from now. We're not sure that they're going to be there in two, three, four years. Are we in Arizona? Like, it, uh, sorry. Do you think they will be? Yeah. I, I can't answer that. I, who yeah, knows? Okay. We've been talking yeah. like this for 15 years. I know. With that play. I just, can you see the beautiful serendipity of them? Uh, Quebec City getting a team back. They fold down in Arizona. Quebec City gets them, and all of a sudden it's a reverse Colorado situation where they're handed a star-studded team. Quebec City, yeah. the, the first team to win a cup in Canada in 30 years, coming up. The other thing, too, to keep in mind is I he certainly would be number one on, on any trade tracker or, or trade uh yeah. list uh but that doesn't necessarily say mean that it, it's inevitable and it will happen they've got the luxury too of of not moving him and perhaps w- doing it in the off season or the length of the contract yeah they're holding on to his value right? it's almost as if uh wasn't it joe sackick who wanted matt duchene really badly from ottawa but had to wait to get him mm-hmm. could be that scenario I do. Um, I am curious. I, I got to make a quick Google search while we're on the phone to see Chikrin's plus minus right now, just to entertain myself and see where that's at. I know yeah, it doesn't matter, Nick. I, I, know. I wouldn't. I, I would not put too much value on that. You know. know. And when you look at uh, what you got to deal with uh, <laughs> okay, on his team, right? I know. I know. But do you want to so, know? You kind of want to know, right? <laughs> what do you have him at? Do you, do you have it there? Yeah, the second worst plus minus in the NHL is uh, Yandel and Everly are minus seventeen. Chikrin's minus twenty nine. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's. I'm not, I, listen. I don't think it reflects on Chikrin. He is playing uh, the tenth most minutes in the NHL right now on the worst team in the league that's not trying to win. What are you going to do? I, I watched. I watched a game uh, Arizona and Edmonton a while back, mm-hmm. and there couldn't have been one or two shifts that. Chikrin was not on the ice at the same time as McDavid and or Dreisaitl. Who else are you going to put out there? Okay. And he's out there. He's out there with Anton Roussel and Louis Erickson. And so Marf you, McFlurbley. For, you know, like so guys you, I haven't heard of. So tell me where that values his plus minus. It doesn't. No, it's yeah, that's, exactly. you know, we've, we've learned over the years that it is, it's an empty stat a lot of times, but it, it is you know, almost like a sympathy thing for me, like just feeling for the guy that he's kind of swimming upstream most nights. It's rough. You hop out on the rink and you know you're going to be out there all game and you don't have the support and the goaltending's not there. Just a tough season for him. I'm sure he, as much as anyone, Nick, is eager for this to happen. And when a player wants to facilitate these moves, we know that it certainly can help expedite the process a little bit. Okay, how about a Jack Eichel sighting? Mm. Uh, everything's pointing into the direction that this guy uh, will come back in the best shape of his life. Uh, from what I'm hearing, he's scheduled to join Vegas on a full-time basis next week. Whoa. And uh, all things pointing to uh, the next few weeks to decide on how early he can come back to, to, to play. So the so target you think right he'll now, be in practice with the team? Yes. Yeah. Next week, I think he's going to be uh, involved. Uh, as of now, I believe he does not have uh, the green light for contact. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the target 
the target date is right around uh, that All-Star weekend. There's no question that this guy was gearing up towards playing in the Olympics. We know that's not going to happen. The only question is, is once he joins Vegas next week, is how quickly uh, can he get that first game in? Does it happen uh, right before All-Star weekend? Or does it happen after? But this this guy's going to be playing hockey very soon for wow. the Vegas Golden Knights. And it should happen either early in February or or just after the All-Star break. You know, I had a jaw injury at one point in my career and, uh, you know, shattered my jaw. You know, a couple of months later, I was scared to eat an apple. I didn't want the bone to re-break. I didn't know if it was solid enough. How would you feel going back out there as Jack Eichel just having done this disc replacement surgery, like would it? Would you feel hesitant? I, I, I'm sure he's not going to go out till he feels good, but I know I'm going to wince every time the guy gets hit for a while. I blew out my knee, and it took me five and a half months to come back off of it. And for some reason, uh, I convinced myself I didn't need even need a knee brace, and I was still. I'll never forget that first game back after five and a half months off. Protecting it. And I ended up fighting Rob Ray. <laughs> Why? Don't do I that. Did. It's not yeah, protecting I anything. I did. I fought Rob Ray, and it the knee didn't buckle. Okay. And I just I didn't look back after that. Well, that's so, what it is. He needs to get hit once, right? I am sure. I am sure he will practice real hard. In, uh, in in the latter part of uh, this month. Yeah. And not that you can ever push the envelope on those scenarios because there are hits and runs in a game that you would never, ever take a chance on doing during practice, but he's going to have to come as close to that as possible. Uh. But until you get those first couple of shifts in, JB, um yeah, there'll always be that seed of doubt, but I, I have, I have no doubt in my mind this guy is going to come back and, uh, and look great. Yeah, he's got that talent, and I think, cool. I think with everything he's been through, JB, there's also a level of natural maturity that will take all the things and maybe all the mistakes that he's made in the past and and learn from them and and go on and do great things. But this talent is far and few. That's how good uh. he is. All I know is if I am a player on the Vegas Golden Knights and he's out there for the first day in practice uh, without his non-contact jersey, I am not going to be the first one to make contact with him. <laughs> I do not want to be on the hook for damaging that asset. I'm not going full Jake Muzzin on Mitch Marner. He is getting a non-contact pass for me the rest of the season, Kipper. Man, did we pack in a lot today. Yeah. We had at least and hockey all, game. That helps. All with Sammy on the IR today. Show, thanks for uh, a great couple of an uh, hours. Andrew, uh, our tech director, thank you as well. Craig Simpson, Darren Pang, John Morosi. Fun show, JB. Jacob Ch Chikrin to the Leafs, Mike Babcock to the Oilers, uh, <laughs> Jack Eichel to the Knights. Whatever you want, we got it. And we're right back again tomorrow. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, everybody. Real Kipper and Bourne.